Hey everyone, guess what? It's just me today. That's it. I'm the only one. As far as I know, everything is working, but if it's not, just let me know or hit me up in the comments. I, I have no idea whether it's really working or not. I probably, I should probably check because uh, I didn't really do anything to it. What? I called it, it's not prepared. I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared for anything. This is, <clears throat> this is completely no effort January, which is where we're at now, right? So it looks like the sound is working, so I think we're okay there. So how are you? Hammond says, it's not working, it's all broke. You liar. <laughs> I'm on to you, I'm on to you. All right, so how was your holidays? Did you have a good one? Did you, did you have a good Christmas? Did you fill up on too much eggnog? Did you drink yourself into a depression coma? What did you do? Let me know in the comments, in the chats. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and don't forget, we are thelastmovieoutpost.com with your news source for all the movie news, streaming news, and everything cool about film. Where are the cool news now? So, I do have a few things prepared, and I will bring them up here. Just some news that I know is going on, and we'll just talk a little bit about some of the basic things that are going on this week uh or actually in the last couple of weeks because uh you know for me i i just uh tried to enjoy the last two weeks but my work is really caught up to me it's made things pretty busy i know phil is having some of the same problems he may not be back until february um and matt has a lot of uh, various things going on with his with his uh, stuff, uh, with his family, and with the, uh, you know, beginning of the year work stuff, we all have real jobs. And then um, Sean is on the run from the authorities, so hopefully he'll get that all squared away, get the right lawyer, and we'll have him back soon. So let's take a look at one of the the big uh, things. I guess I, I guess I have to hit share uh, screen here because I didn't do any of that stuff. Here we go. Okay. So, Jeremy Renner got run over by a snowplow. And he's doing okay. It <laughs> looks so good. I I don't know. I mean, from what I hear, it's just one of those weird things that just happened. It was just a bizarre um, uh, mess up. Uh, just I, I think it was the vax. I really don't know. <laughs> it's something. Uh, but... Let's hope that he's okay. I did start wearing his. Uh, I'm wearing. I did start watching his uh, Mayor of Kingstown. It's a Taylor Sheridan production. I just watched the first episode, and so far, I'm. I'm. It's not grabbing me. It has all the good things that you would expect from a Taylor Sheridan production. And if you're wondering who's Taylor Sheridan, what has he done? Uh, think Yellowstone, think 1883, 1923, uh, Tulsa King. Those are all available right now on various streaming services. I think most of it's on Paramount Plus. So then Yellowstone, I think, is on Peacock, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, but for now, it's all. We, we hope that Jeremy's doing okay. But as far as. The mayor of Kingstown is. Uh, Kingstown is like its only its only major industry is prisons, <laughs> and he and his 
uh, brother, he's like the right hand man to his brother, and kind of runs it. And in the first episode, his brother gets killed, and that's really what kicks it off and makes Renner the mayor of Kingstown. I don't know what happens after that. But they run some they run some shady deals with the various gangs that are in the town and with the prisoners and that kind of stuff, mostly so that they can keep the violence down in the town. Um, that if they do some of these rule-breaking, then they could hopefully keep things in check and keep, you know, things from boiling over because we have that many prisons and that many prisoners and that much shady's going on. It could go really bad really quick. Um, of course, now the, you know, the brother gets killed and fine. I, it's It's got all the trap, like Taylor Sheridan always casts well and the the people in it are enjoyable and the there are moments that are really good but unlike Yellowstone and some of the others it's it feels like the less than the sum of its parts I'm not getting I'm not getting things that are just going like oh this is awesome it's just uh, it's okay but it's just not really grabbing me as well as I as I would hoped um so for whatever reason, I, I don't know how much more time I'll put into it because there's just too much shit out there to watch. So I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it more. Maybe I won't. If there's nothing else going on, it is. F you, it's January. So there's not much going on right now, but we'll see. Uh, also in the news, we have uh, the She-Hulk writer says, you are wrong. It's not. It's not. It's not you, it's the children that are wrong. Uh, it's no surprise to anyone at the outpost that She-Hulk is the weakest reviewed, poorest received thing in the MCU. Even hate watches for the sake of a review proved impossible for seasoned pros like our writing staff or our semi-professional shit waiters. Turns out everyone in the world is wrong and She-Hulk is comics accurate and we don't get it. Comics writer Dan Slott took to Twitter to defend the recent Disney Plus series, which starred Tatiana Maslany as a single female lawyer, Jennifer Walters, cousin of Bruce Banner and She-Hulk attorney at law. Watch as she struggles to balance her career and her own life with her newfound superhero abilities. Show has taken criticism for using meta-comedy. No, that's not completely true. I know this is what you wrote, but that is... The meta-comedy is... Not its weakest link. Um, people said it was way out of tone with the MCU. Yes, I would agree with that. Anyone saying the She-Hulk TV show wasn't comic book accurate? I'm the guy who's written more issues of She-Hulk than anyone. I've read every single comic from most She-Hulk run. And I'm saying for the record, it is the most comic book accurate show in the MCU. No, it's not. Just because, see, this is an example, in my opinion, of a creator who doesn't understand his own work. First of all, John Byrne did much of it. I'm not sure how much Slot has done. Um, let's take a look and we'll see where he what what his um, bio says here. I'll bring him up here. So did he do? So he's been around for a while. So he must have done, he's 55. So I'm guessing he did stuff from She-Hulk's first run. So let's take a look. Uh, Marvel, 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 She-Avengers. 
He's just Batman, but he's, he's done quite a bit. Um, I'm not I'm not familiar with his name, but that doesn't mean I haven't read his stuff. Uh, so his She-Hulk was done in Volume One, which doesn't say the year, but it shows 2004, 2007. So I would say he was not involved with the She-Hulk from. John Burns run back in 1989. Considering he was born in 1967, um, when was he born? Yeah, 67. Even pretty young to be to be in, in a period that and to be able to do that comic at that time. So I'm going to say that he d- did not do that. And the one that John Byrne did with the with the fourth wall breaking, the fourth wall breaking was done as little asides. They were done as little moments, but they didn't. They weren't used to propel the story, or if even if they used it to to play around with, it wasn't really necessary for the story. It was just an added part. Like if the characters had to get from one part to you know one place to another, they would go sometimes through the ads. Like the fake ads, like a two-page ads. Like she ripped the ads, she walked across the ads, and she get went back in. But it it didn't really affect the story. They could have just walked down a hallway or something. It was just a fun way to do these things. In in the series, She Hulk used the the fourth wall to resolve the whole goddamn series. It was just like they just erased everything that happened. That is not the way the comic worked. And if that's what you if you think all fourth wall breaking is the same, if you think that oh She Hulk broke the fourth wall in the comics, She Hulk broke the fourth wall in the show, She-Hulk in the comics in 89 was good, therefore She-Hulk in the show is good. No, that's not how logic works, Dan. That's not how these things work. It is not necessarily that it was that great. It could have been it, it was. It was crap. It was also condescending. It, it, it ruined Daredevil. It had nonsense. Like, she was completely incompetent as a lawyer. She was not incompetent in a lawyer as a lawyer in the comics. She was not incompetent as a superhero in the comics. Uh, she was completely incompetent in both sides here. And, she, you know, it was definitely written by narcissistic, um, entitled people who believe that just by their, their virtue of being alive, that they are either oppressed or deserve something. And that's what, you know, if you're going to equate the two, you're really, you're really shitting on Burns' legacy. So, no, I, I think you're absolutely wrong here. People arguing the twerking scene in She-Hulk wouldn't have happened in the comics. Byrne had She-Hulk jumping rope in a bikini. Byrne had She-Hulk jumping rope in a bikini as a cover gag. It wasn't actually in the story. And She-Hulk in her office as a lawyer did not would not have done something like that in an unprofessional way. Not even in a comedic role that she was in, in, in that comic. I mean, I, it's like you don't understand, like you're taking these moments like completely out of context or like they're in a vacuum. She does this here, she does this here, therefore they're the same. No, it's not the same. You can't just sit there and go, oh, it, they're exactly the same. No, there's... There's reasons why one works and one doesn't. And if you're just going to just look at just one thing, I mean, that's just, 
it's such an incredibly smooth brain way of looking at things like nothing else matters nothing else makes a difference the the the, the whys of when you put a, a comedy in place I, I mean comedy ain't that easy if it was everybody could do it so i i don't understand what they're thinking here and what what dan is thinking but it just looks like a, yeah that's that's what happened to the mcu um so it gives you an idea of of what we're talking about here uh let's see Comic book accurate is a red herring. Is it good or is it not is the real question. Well, I, I think there is something to the idea, uh, Hammond, that you want to be somewhat accurate to the comics because the comics developed a framework and a foundation that if you're going to adapt it, you want to be accurate to that framework and foundation. Otherwise, it's completely different or it's not what it's supposed to be. I, I would challenge the notion that just because they broke the fourth wall, that they both broke the fourth wall does not make it comic book accurate. Um, the fourth wall breaking in the She-Hulk comic was done as an aside, as an addendum. It was not used to resolve stories. It was not used to resolve emotional arcs. In She-Hulk, the TV show it was, and I would submit that that is not comic book accurate. Uh, I think reading the... Uh, I think I read a Spider-Man arc he did. I'm not sure. Yeah, he did. I, I was looking through this. He he did have a lot of uh, Spider-Man stuff. So, you know, who knows? Um, But it looks like it's all more recent. So I have a feeling he's he's part of the, the, the in-media Hollywood crowd. You know how it is. Uh, She-Hulk was written to resonate with the Twitter crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Twitter crowd is, that, that. That's maybe that's a problem with Twitter, right? Twitter is like, you know, one moment, 280 characters with nothing before, nothing after, and you're supposed to just react to that like it's gospel or something. It's, it's Good luck, Elon, but I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I use it for garbage and, and to troll and to be just irritating, but I, you know, it's not serious. I, I, I just don't see why it's a serious platform. And quite frankly, frankly, the fact that so many unserious people treat it that way is what's so <laughs> what's so wrong with it. Um, I mean, we have major, major media and, and government officials using Twitter like it's the most important thing in the world. And it is within their circles. And that's, that's the problem. I mean, I, I honestly wonder if Twitter is just a cult maker. Uh, Heidi, Heidi, how you doing? Uh, God, we got, I can't believe we have this many people watching today, but that's great. I'm wonderful. I'm happy that you're here. So while we're talking about, uh, various comic book, uh, things, let's look at The Rock. Now, The Rock accepts Black Adam's failure. Now, earlier in the week, um... John said DC maneuvers were laid bare. So uh, I'll go over this a little bit. Well, we got time here, so let me let me just read through it. It's January, so with the new year comes a new DCEU, now to be known as the DCU. Whatever. Uh, the new bosses, James Gunn and Pete Safran, will be revealing their vision and a multi-year interconnected plan for the DCU. The tweets, retreats, planning sessions, and meeting with David Zasloff are over, and they'll be pressing the giant reset button. So I know a lot of people are pretty mixed about this because I, I think there is a lot of people who really loved 
Henry Cavill as Superman. And they really liked a lot of what Ben Affleck did as Batman. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm mixed on Aquaman. Gal Gadot was a good Wonder Woman. But it's, it's the writing and the stories and the way they were written that is the problem. I think the casting was, for the most part, fine. I'm not really on board with Ezra Miller's The Flash. Um, and I don't like Aquaman that much. Jason Momoa is fine. I mean, he's he's good. And he, if, if you like that, that version of Aquaman, that's fine. I, I like him more. I really like the DCAU version of him where he, you know, he had the hook hand and he was kind of a, you know, he was a underwater king and kind of a, a dick about the whole thing, but would cut off his own hand to save his his infant son. And and I, I don't know he he was he was my favorite version. Certainly not the Super Friends version, things like that. But um, and be that as it may, you know, I don't I don't like Zack Snyder's vision of the DCU. I think it was just. It was so gray and dour and bleak. And I think a lot of that was in response to the Dark Knight. And I'm like, okay, well, the Dark Knight is the Dark Knight. And Batman is Batman. But Superman should not be Batman. And everything should not be gray and gloomy and, and, I don't know, dark and dreary and edgy, whatever. I mean, I liked Christopher Reeve as Superman. I liked the, the... the optimism and the sunniness of Superman. And I think that's what makes it interesting pairing him up with Batman because Batman is dark and dreary and everything and having those two opposing ideals uh, to try to fight the same cause is, is interesting. There's conflict there and that's why I like it. If you make them both the same, then it's not very, it's not interesting. Was Henry Cavill pretty much shit on for this whole thing? Yes. Uh, I think he deserved better. Uh, I think he did his best with what he had. But, you know, I mean, the Man of Steel, just wiping out most of Metropolis, just, it's hard to get over. I know, Matt, you, Eggy, you love it, but I just, I don't think the Snyderverse was very good. I, you know, everybody saying release the Snyder Cut, bring back the Snyderverse with the same people that were screaming, Martha, how stupid, and, you know, oh, the death and destruction of Steel. So I, I don't know what the turnaround is or why. But, okay, it doesn't matter now. It's going away. So Zaslav comes in, and he's, he's basically throwing the whole thing in the dumpster. And we're going to see what happens, but there was unfortunately a lot of things that were still in the pipeline. One of them was Black Adam as the Rock. Now, the Black the Black Black Adam as the Rock. The Rock is Black Adam. Uh, the the Black Adam wasn't very good. It was it was in that category of, well, at least it didn't piss me off. And the reason why I seem to like it more than most other people is because it wasn't like Thor where they completely destroyed the character. Um, this one, they attempted to make the character correct. and It just wasn't a very good movie around it. And so I kind of liken it to some of those 1990s superheroes where it's like, it's not a very good movie, but you don't feel like the character is not... I mean, even Batman and Robin and some of those, it's like, they're, they're terrible, yes. But Batman is still 
being Batman in a bad movie. He's not being dude bro and completely emasculated, right? So there is something to uh, that idea and I guess, you know, baby steps. But in the end, it just didn't make any money and it didn't do well. So The Rock had to do a Mia Culpa, which he did on Twitter. And basically said, I get it, we're gonna fail. And so there will no there will not be a planned Black Adam uh Superman trilogy where they eventually meet and have a punch up and that's all going away. They're gonna finish out Aquaman and Captain uh, or Shazam and I'm guessing with some reshoots that they're going to just reboot the universe with Flashpoint. And then we'll see what James Gunn and, and these guys can do. They canceled Batgirl. Um, I heard that Ezra Miller was getting help. Like he was getting some mental help. Which made me think of uh, you know, the guy in Clockwork Orange. You know, they're just putting droplets in his eyebrow, eyeballs. And, and giving him electroshocks and all this other shit. Uh, but uh, I mean, what else would you do? It's, Ezra Miller is completely nuts. So we'll see what happens, but I think that if you're really attached to the DCEU as it is, you better you better get on your funeral garb and uh, enjoy what you can because it's all going away. They're going to try again. This 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 whole thing was a ten year mulligan. That's what it is. We're gonna take a mulligan of the last decade and try again. So yeah, you tell me who would you who would you recast in some of this? Would you put in? I mean, would you bring back these guys in the same roles, but as different versions of the characters? Would you redo it all from scratch and just recast everybody? Um, you know, certainly, you're starting over. These actors aren't getting any younger, so you know, I don't, I don't know if it makes sense to do it that way. We'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see. Heidi wants to test the super trap. She tried to fix it. Well, that was that's nice of you, Heidi. I, I appreciate the I appreciate the pity chats. I really do. Uh, did want did want to make a mention of rest in peace, Earl Bowen. Uh, for those of you who may may not remember, he's the uh, the uh, psychiatrist in the Terminator movies that had to learn the hard way that uh, uh, Sarah Connor was telling the truth. I also remembered him in uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, which had Earl Bowen, and that's Ron Perlman right there, and then some dude and uh, Prince Harry. So <laughs> that's not my joke, but I, I appreciate it. Um, and he's been in a lot of different stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's the first obituary of the year. It was a long, long year, and it, it remember, it's just, it just keeps happening. Yeah, I remember it didn't work on Christmas. I, I, I'd have to... Uh, I'll keep an eye on it. I didn't see one come up, but... We'll see. Oh, that entire two bucks should go to... <laughs> Thank you. Let me let me put it up here on the screen. Uh, here we go. There. Oh, isn't that nice? It comes up in blue. Isn't that nice? So, the entire two bucks should go to Yoda only. No, it goes into the kitty. Um... To support all this. So that's what we do. 
Uh, so moving on. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, the worst thing of the year is that Avatar passes Maverick and is still climbing. So I checked this out. Let's go to domestic. Domestic yearly. Now, here's the thing. When you do this, you want to do in-year grosses. It's a little, little confusing. I know that when you are still selling, like you release something in December and it, it's, it's selling tickets in January, February, March, you know, it's like where, where the grosses go. I tend to find it a little bit easier that you, you set it to in your grosses and then you put the movie in the year it was released. So Avatar is released in 2022. It goes to the 22, 2022 grosses. It makes it a little easier to, to figure which one was the number one movie of that year. So if, oh, come on, BOM, what's the problem with you today? Well, if you look at it, um, domestically, we'll get back to that. But I did look at this before. Domestically, the uh, Maverick made $760 million, so three-quarter of a billion, whereas Avatar only made $430 million. So, you know, while it, you know, initially I was thinking, God, mankind is a mistake because it did pot pass it worldwide at least america is is got its stuff together i think a little bit better america and canada those domestically so you get you get in there too um but uh, avatar is just i don't know it's it's i i really i really hated it i hated the movie avatar 2 i didn't hate the first one but I think why I hate it, it's like, well, if you didn't hate the first one, why did you hate the second one? It's the same movie. I was like, yeah, it is the same movie. But that's what that's why I hate it so much. It was like he didn't put any effort into any of this. He didn't give a crap. He did. It just feels so cynical. It's, it, it's, it's not even any better as far as special effects or the experience or anything. It's like, it's like the same thing you saw in 2009. It's not any better you know, movie-wise, presentation-wise, any of that stuff, it's the same movie. It's like, you're, you're going to make me wait 13 years and you're going to put out the same movie and you not only didn't take to heart any of the criticism that was laid about the first movie, that's where you could improve, but that you not only did that, but you doubled down on it and made it worse. I'm... I, I, I just... I'm glad that we're not doing it that, that much. It's It's the grossest. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, perhaps relevant to the super chat now requires two-step verification. Well, that's probably good. You don't want people stealing your money now. Uh, that's that's always something. Uh, Avatar says nothing interesting. No, it doesn't. I, I, I was really struck. It's like we're not only going to get woke, but we're going to get boomer woke because we're going to talk about the evils of whaling. Like that hasn't been already addressed in Star Trek 4 nearly 40 years ago. I mean, come on. I, it's it's so bad. Avatar 2, disappearance of papal rectangles from literally your pockets. Yes. Well, I, you know, I do it for this. I didn't do it because I really wanted to see it that much. But I I do not understand what what they were thinking on this. So, 
2022. Okay, here. We do have it back up. I don't know why they're giving me so many problems, but whatever. So you can see here, uh, Top Gun Maverick, 718. Black Panther, 436. Doctor Strange, 411. And Avatar, The Way of the Water, 401. Now, I would expect this to go up over the next few weeks. The question is, is it going to make another $100 million before the end of its domestic run? I really don't know. Um, it's slowed down quite a bit. And Jesus Christ. It, it, what? <laughs> don't you know I'm doing a show here, Bomb? God, what is the problem here? So anyway, worldwide, it's doing much better. But it, it went to... 2.8 billion, or that's what that's what the projections are. So it's getting all its numbers from I don't know China, all over the place. So fine, you know, I get it. You you want to watch, you know, get a, watch this mess. You go right ahead. But I I'm just I'm done with Cameron. I don't think he's got anything left in the tank. Anybody see the Evil Dead Rise trailer? Because I got to tell you. This is this this does not feel like an Evil Dead trailer. This feels like a typical January, even though it's come out in April. But it feels like a typical January horror movie that they just put out. That I mean, it doesn't look like it has anything really new to say. It it looks like one of those possession of Emily Rose or something like that. It's just another horror movie with an Evil Dead sheen on it but i'm like i i'm i mean i suppose you could say well at least they're doing something different but i mean part of evil dead's charm was the humor that the the especially evil dead 2 is the mix of humor and horror that works so effectively while i love army of darkness that really went full comedy and i really like evil dead but that's more full horror evil dead 2 is considered the favorite because it effectively mixes two genres so perfectly and it did not one did not take away from the other somehow he made it work in in all ways you never you never not felt the tenseness and the the danger but you still were laughing and that's this one just feels like just i don't know we're putting out weird contacts and we're being scary and there's nothing and, and kids are going to be scared but it just it just doesn't feel like an Evil Dead movie. It feels like the same the same nonsense with just, you know, oh, they'll read the Necromonicon and then they'll get possessed and then they'll, the mother will be chasing the kids around the house all hour and a half of the movie. Well, what's special about that? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, did, did you see the trailer? What'd you think? I was not impressed. And let's see. Oh, finally, uh, there's a secret Star Wars filming this April, apparently. Um, this may not be correct, but um, the film is set to have a completely new set of leads, but will feature some characters from the sequel trilogy because that went so well. Daisy Ridley was recently spotted at Lucasfilm, even posted about it on social media. 
Uh, there hasn't been a single Star Wars movie since The Rise of Skywalker apologized its way on the screens back in 2019. Andor's been a critical darling, so maybe they think they have the Star Wars mojo back. What's better? What's the betting they've learned absolutely nothing from Andor and what made it good? Can you imagine Lucasfilm following advice? Um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to... Andor works great for the most part as a show and it it really goes I mean obviously this is Disney Plus so it doesn't go too far but it goes more of a Game of Thrones route where it's it's very complex and serious and people get killed unexpectedly and there's a lot of danger They they made the Empire dangerous again all that is great but there's a lot of people who are very mixed on this tone right right or wrong i've i've kind of accepted the tone my problem with the show is that it's just a little too long it has some basic problems but as far as it an intelligent well put together show it's great but it's on a streaming service and it's a show and you can choose to watch it or not watch it and it's a whole different it's a whole different marketing and audience and not to say there isn't a lot of crossover, but this isn't the same as putting out a movie. And if you're going to put out a movie with the word with the name Star Wars on it, it better be just really crowd pleasing, especially after the sequels. And I don't think you're going to be able to use that kind of tone that you did with Andor in a Star Wars movie. So I'm... I'm not I I don't believe that they that, that you say if they learn from Andor. Well, no, I don't think they learn at all. They they just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, but as far as trying to replicate what Star Wars what Andor was on the big screen, it's going to have to build up a lot more of a following. And considering that Andor was the lowest rated um version of it was the lowest rated Disney Plus show. I just don't think that that's going to work. I just don't see it happening. Um, so what would they film? What would they do? Especially since it's sequel. If, if they're going to include some sequel characters, then you got to figure, okay, well, it's in the sequel timeline or something. I I don't, I don't know. There's such, there's such bad people are really upset with the sequels people don't like them there's there's a lot of bad feelings about the sequels so i just don't see them being able to do it without really making sure that they've got their ducks in a row i i just i don't believe that any of these incompetents that are in charge now will be able to pull it off and what's more i don't know if you saw over the the holidays but ryan johnson is still talking about making another star wars even though he pretty much admits that he wanted The Last Jedi to be a Viking funeral Star Wars. He is basically saying, I wanted to destroy Star Wars as it was. It's like, what, what do we do to you, Ryan? Just go to your movie and give you a lot of money? Jesus, what assholes we are. So, let me go back through here. Um, let's see. Avatar disappeared. Oh, yes, I did that one. Sorry. My prediction on the Midnight's Edge for Avatar was 1.5 billion and it will need aftermarket sales to put over 2 billion. It is doing better than I thought. I honestly I'm yeah. I mean 
it's doing about what I expected domestically because domestically it's not it, it's not hitting the numbers now. The last Avatar and the same with Titanic, it just kept going and going and going and going, and people kept rewatching it, rewatching it, rewatching it. So will it do that? Will it be like in March and still making twelve million a weekend? I don't know. I mean these these Cameron movies they seem to they they don't seem to follow any of the 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 past patterns of this sort of thing. They do whatever the heck they want and they make money even though you're kind of scratching your head going, Why is this so popular? I, I don't understand why Titanic was so popular. I don't understand why the first Avatar was so popular. Other than the spectacle and the cheap, easy manipulation of emotion. And I've come to kind of realize that if you could if you can manipulate people's emotions just right, you can get them to do or pay or believe anything. And I don't have that ability. Uh, otherwise, this would be making a lot more money. Uh, and Bohr, the right show, but too late. Kathleen Kennedy kills Star Wars. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think if you go into Andor with the idea that you you're getting a slow burn and you're getting something that's a lot more a lot more complex and deep and if you kind of get out of the Star Wars mindset cuz as, as much as I love Star Wars and and the deep mythological stuff that it that it mines I'm just talking about the original trilogy it's not a complex plot the characters are complex the emotions are complex but the plot isn't andor is complex as far as plot goes and then they did a solid job of, of making the characters complex as well, but it's it's much it's much more intellectual in a lot of ways. It's not it's not as emotional. Like that was the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek, right? Star Trek tickles the techie, engineering, non-emotional side of my brain. You know, my favorite character, Mister Spock, and he doesn't have any emotions. That's I love that. I love all the techie bullshit in it, and, and all the the engineering porn and all that stuff that goes on in it. Star Wars is the emotional, fun, adventure side of my brain. It's magic. It's space wizards, right? There's nothing science in it. Um, it's it's mistaken for that because it's in space. It has spaceships, and everybody, unfortunately, will say, "Oh, if it's if it's got spaceships, it must be science fiction." No, not at all. It's, it doesn't have to be at all, and that's what was kind of brilliant about Star Wars is making basically a fantasy movie in space. But a lot of people think it's science fiction. It's not. So that's the difference between the two. And Andor is more like Game of Thrones or, or House of Dragon or something. Or, you know, one of these Taylor Sheridan shows. It's very deep. Now, I I don't think it's as tight and well put together as some of those other shows. But I do think it it's it's a step up as far as, I mean, Book of Boba Fett was just so stupid. I mean, it was really ridiculously stupid. Uh, but this show is is not at all. It's just they kind of tighten up some things, and it unfortunately has the baggage of trying to under trying to be in the Star Wars universe when it is clearly not a Star Wars type show. It's it's not that swashbuckling adventure show, and that's tough for a lot of people to get over. You want they they want their Star Wars to be what they always believe it to be, and this ain't that. The question is is like can Star Wars survive being just a swashbuckling adventure show? Um, 
I, I would say that between the prequels and the sequels, we're saying it's going to have to do something different or it ain't going to make it. Mandalorian kind of rides that line, so we'll see. I, I, I don't know. I, I do know that as long as Kathleen Kennedy runs the show, it will never be. It, it will be driven to the ground and destroyed and people will forget about it. And that's a shame. Uh, Jesus Yoda is eloquent. Oh, that's nice. I'll pay you later. Um, agreed. Oh, I got to pay so many people now. Uh, it comes down to toxic writers. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really shocked at how many of the writers today when they come into writing that they 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 come from these colleges or these universities who tell you that you know we don't we don't want to learn anything about what old dead white people wrote and so you're throwing out all of the great works of english literature um and for that matter european literature even russian literature north american literature there is so much that was written that that we learned and we grew based on what others had done to understand the mechanics of story writing of character building and all that kind of all, all the things that go into creating stories that really move us that really grab us that make us want to revisit these stories again and again and again and they throw that all out the dumpster because of the person's color and so which is insane and racist and horrible but then they don't have any of the understanding or the mechanics to write stories. And then if, if it's the ladies, and I'm sorry, but if it's the women writing this stuff, they came out of a pile of gender studies or feminist classes, which are basically, you're entitled because you exist. And that's how they write these characters. None of it's compelling. None of it's enjoyable. None of it is something I want to watch. It's not, it's not something women want to watch. And so they're dying and they don't have a crop of new writers coming out of colleges because colleges aren't teaching these things. Maybe there's some literary colleges or universities that are still teaching the, the greats, um, but th these kids don't have the education and, and the understanding of what makes storytelling compelling. It's all just trying to, you know, what Critical Drinker says is that we're trying to send the message. But the message is the only thing they know. They don't even understand how to craft the message into something that might be compelling. They're just blunt force objects. Like if, if the world, you know, if the only tool they have is a hammer, then the entire world is a nail. That's all they have. And they just hammer this stuff right into your skull without any understanding of how to grab people's emotions. I, I said Cameron at least knows how to manipulate an emotion. I think it's cheap. I think it's manipulative, and I don't like it. I don't like how he does it. I think he does it in the most simplistic way possible. But at least he knows how to grab your emotions. I, I wish he would do it in a different way, and I wish his message wasn't so god-awful simplistic. And I think that gets into the longevity of his stuff. He used to know how to do that. That's where Terminator and Aliens and those characters from those movies were so have so much longevity even till now. Hell, I think the Abyss and, and True Lies, those characters are more compelling than anything he did in, in Titanic or the two avatars. So he could do these things, but they don't know how to properly write these stories this way so that you can relate to the character and so that you can move along and be compelled by the character. And that's something I... If we don't have a crop of people coming out of these schools to do that, then who's going to write this stuff? Nobody. There's nobody left. 
we're, we're going to have to get old guys who have so fallen into the Hollywood bubble that they are bought into all the toxicity. I mean, look at Mark Hamill. The guy's well into his almost 70, and he's gotten completely bonker nutso. So none of these guys know how to do this stuff, even though he knows that The Last Jedi, he said, I fundamentally disagreed with it. But now you look at him on Twitter, he probably thinks, no, nah, I was wrong. This is the way to write him. I, you know, all these people in this Hollywood bubble are right. And I guess, I guess bankruptcy is the only thing it's going to teach him. Uh, I don't understand how Thriller or even Titanic could top the charts when the world was so much fewer people then. <laughs> are you talking about Thriller, the, the Michael Jackson video, or Titanic? I'm confused, Tiny. I think the, the, the charts were topped because... That was how many people, because there were less people, it still was on the top of that. But you broke my brain. Agreed. I, I'm I'm going to have to have a, a judge's ruling on that one. I would recreate Star Wars except use cars in a parking lot overhead view. I'm good with that. I would watch that. I think it would be fun. Um, I've never seen it, but I will remake it. I'm assuming you're talking about Andor. Uh, I apologize, I got a little behind because I got ranty. Uh, Star Wars is made for movies. Star Trek is made for, probably I'm just going to say TV. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Star Trek has got the same problem right now. I mean, you know, they brought out Stacey Abrams as the president of Earth, and, and everything they're doing in Star Trek is, everybody's crying all the time. It's all emotion. All the tech porn is gone. There's no, the the military the way they did things in the military is gone. One one of the greatest moments I, I ever saw was in Star Trek The Next Generation was where Picard and Riker got captured. Um, and they Picard is, is undercover with these pirates and Riker gets captured by the pirates. So Data has to take command and he makes Worf the first officer. And Worf is grumbling and, and you know, kind of acting like he did as a security, in his role in security, but was expressing a lot of displeasure with some of Data's orders. Finally, Data took him in. He says, I, I don't appreciate how you're handling this. If you have a problem with how I'm doing things, you bring it in here with me. We talk about it. But then your job as first officer is to carry out my orders. And... Worf says, well, aren't I supposed to present you with alternatives? He's like, yes, you are. But once I've made my decision, you need to go and carry out the decision. And, you know, I've never heard Commander Riker express displeasure with my orders the way you did just now. Worf says, yep, you're right. I didn't do that. He says, I'm sorry if I ended our friendship. And Worf says, nope, nope. It's I who have acted dishonorably. I, you know, I would like to continue being your friend if you'll overlook this. Dave says, and they acted like adults. And they talked to each other like adults and they worked out their problems and they and they clearly enunciated what the problem was and they worked through the problem and everybody understood. They didn't sit there crying at each other. It's not how a military works. It's not how competent people could work if they didn't if they didn't act this way. So when I watch Star Trek now and I see just a bunch, a bunch of people just crying all the time and saying the F bomb and everything, Star Trek works as a TV show, yes, but it doesn't work the way it is now. I'll tell you that. And if you want to see some of that, uh, go watch Eggy and I talking about, you know, we know Star Trek is so bad, but why? I'll give you two hours of that shit. Well, actually, closer to four or five hours, because we, we, we talked about a lot of it. Uh, will Star Wars survive 100 years, 2077? 
if Star Wars had never been messed with, if it was just the three movies, I think it would have. If Wizard of Oz could survive, yeah, I think it will. And I think maybe the original trilogy still will. I think people... I, I found it's interesting in watching through YouTube how people have rediscovered some old movies and they make shows about it or they make little YouTube blurbs about it. Critical Drinker just did 12 Angry Men, a movie that I love. Um, I'm considering doing one on uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Everybody remembers Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, but not as many know about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I think from a patriotic side not a political side but a patriotic side it does what it's a wonderful life did for christmas and i think it's uh still a classic it works to this day there was a time when i thought eh, you really couldn't do that th these days with the internet and everything but over the past few years now i've seen how the internet's consolidated into companies that are controlling the message all over the place now i'm kind of thinking yeah i think they could do it even worse now but um Overall, it's a great movie, and I think these movies are getting rediscovered as new generations come in, and thanks to YouTube and thanks to older people like me who are who are talking about these movies that I think each successive generation is, is finding them again. The first Star Wars, it's so in the culture with every generation. I, I don't know. You're talking another 50 years? <sighs> That's a good question, Heidi. I really don't know. Um, I, I would like to think that the original trilogy would, and maybe maybe we'll see. I, I feel like the original trilogy is, is still very deep and symbolic and has so many good things to say. Um, I, I love, I, I think the opening scene is so brilliant of the very first Star Wars with the, you know, the rebels and the empire, the, the, the low angle, the, the giant ship, you know, dominance and all that and then when you go inside the ship and you see the people's faces you know they're all they're all standing there but you see all the faces you see their eyes you see the fear in their eyes you see how they look at you know each individual unique human face and then the door opens and stormtroopers come through which look like skeletons it look like death coming through and then their dark lord comes through they all have masks on and you don't see any human faces in any of them you don't know what they are they could be demons and it's just that visceral, that that thing that hits in, in the I don't know in the, the the animal brain, the lizard brain, or something that that those two, the organic versus the mechanical, maybe the the light versus the dark, the human versus the undead, whatever you want to call it, all of that is encapsulated in those first few minutes. There's not a word of dialogue said, and it's it's great, and I think that that kind of thing still resonates with people. I don't I don't think that that goes away. Um, no matter what the prequels and the special editions and the sequels and everything else that's come along from it, I, I don't think you could get away from if you just look at those three movies in a vacuum. I think they still have that kind of kind of thing going on. So it's really, it's really fascinating to me, and I, I just find so many layers in it. So yes, I think it will survive a hundred years. I just don't think the book of Boba Fett will. Uh, let's see. Loving your work, Yoda. Thank you, Eggy. I appreciate that. That's so many people to pay today. Uh, no, no. I mean today. Titanic is still in the top five. Um, I think domestic. One of the things I wish that I think is more accurate when you look at it is you got to really adjust for inflation. 
Because I mean, tickets tickets back then were like five bucks, and now they're like eight bucks. I mean, that's, that makes a world of difference. I I really would like to see box office mojo. Maybe it does. I just haven't looked at it. But I like to see you know number of tickets sold. Because I mean, if you look at who's the top, if you go by inflation, it's gone with the wind, hands down. I mean, it's not even close. They that that movie sold so many tickets. We were so racist back then. I guess I don't know. No, it's a great movie, but it's 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 still. I I think there has to be something said for the the time period and all that. When Gone with the Wind came out, I mean, it wasn't like you were going to go home or get it on DVD or watch another VHS or anything. You you saw it in the movie, and that's the only that's the only place you could see it. If you wanted to repeat see it, then you were going back to the movie again and again and again. And people did that a lot. Once home video came out, I think it threw the whole paradigm into an uproar. And I I really don't know who has the top movie anymore because if it's just by box office numbers I, I just i don't think it's a fair measurement i mean if you're if you're selling tickets for you know 50 cents 25 cents a dime in in one era and you didn't have any home media and you're selling for eight bucks in another era and it's out for three four five months and it's that it's on home video and then you got all the home video sales that go along with that how does that figure in I mean, if if the if the measurement is how many times you want to go see it, well, you could count that in a movie theater because every time you bought a ticket. Oh, but then I'll throw something else at you. Back in the day, you could go buy a ticket, you could sit in the movie theater all day, watch all the movies you want. Then they changed that, so I I don't know what the measurement is anymore. I I don't. It doesn't make any sense. Um, what you do the best you can with the numbers you got, but I think it's it's good to understand all that. How bad is Dial of Destiny going to be? I don't, I don't know. Bad, horrible, terrible. I I can't. I I think I think we'll measure it in the number of crystal skulls. You know, if it's like five crystal skulls, it's really horrible. If it's only one crystal skull, it's not that bad. Well, that that'll be our measuring. We'll we'll go measure it in crystal skulls. Uh, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that for all my measurements now. A scale of one to five crystal skulls, with five being the worst. That's how I'm gonna measure all my Disney Plus content now. Uh, I believe Star Wars is made for movies. Star Trek is best for episodic streaming. Klutzman is producing bad Star Trek movies packed with meaningless filler for streaming. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Uh, meaningless filler with a lot of message. Um, Star Trek, if you're going to make a show, I, I do, I do, I do get tired of the episodic, not the episode, the, the season long story arcs. Like, to watch a show, you're basically watching an eight-hour movie. I, I'm i kind of putting up with it with Jack Ryan because every season is kind of like that season, and then they move on. But some of this other stuff, like the Star Trek Discovery just keeps building on and building on what case. So you have to watch from the beginning, and if they have four or five seasons, then you have to watch all of it to understand what's going on. And some of that can work, I guess. Um I mean, soap operas have been doing it for decades, so I, I don't know. I just, I get, I, I would like to see more episodic television. And that's what I kind of liked about the Orville, is that the Orville is very episodic. And while there were some arcs going on, it wasn't, like, completely necessary. Like, if you just wanted to watch the arcs, you could watch, like, four episodes throughout the entire run of the series, and you would get it. And... Star Trek and Deep Space Nine were the same way. I know a lot of people say, well, Deep Space Nine had those eight-episode arcs. It's like, watch them again. 
because in in essence, those eight episodes, the each episode was its own story, and it wasn't really. They they were little stories within this new paradigm. Okay, the, the Deep Space Nine station got taken over. The Cardassians and the and the Dominion took it over. And so, the Federation is now fighting the war, and and everybody in the Deep Space Nine cast is in a different place. But within those five six episodes, they did that. They had different stories. They had a story about Jake. They had a story about Kira. They had a story about you know. And then finally, by the last episode, that's when they resolved it. They did it all in that last episode. You could watch the first episode and the last episode, none of it in between. You wouldn't have missed anything. So I, I wish there was more like that because you feel like you can, you feel a little bit more satisfied with what you're watching. I think when you when you watch these season-long story arcs all the time, you watch an episode, and then you're like, nothing is resolved. Nothing is done. There's very little that has moved the story along or the character along. It's just act two in a 12-act play and you need to get to the end. So, you know, if it, it's why binging, I guess, works because you got to watch the whole thing and then you feel at least satisfied by the end that you got to the end of, this, end of the story. But, yeah, I'm, I would like to see more episodic television again. I miss it. Uh, Heidi, no streaming back in those days, so you had to go to the cinema and see the movie and then wait about six months for the VHS DVD release. That's when the number seems to be so high. Yeah, that's kind of what I was. Uh, you, you said it much more succinctly than I did. Uh, Gambit. I Okay. Random X-Men character noted. Uh, this, <laughs> this isn't how competent people work. Correct, because these writers wouldn't function anywhere else except Hollywood. Yeah, or on the welfare line. Um, no, they do. They would. They would do fine in media. Uh, if they can't write entertainment media, they would write fiction for the news. You know that. They would do social media. They'd end up in HR departments. They're all over the place. Um, they'd be doing DIE, diversity, inclusion, equity uh, consulting. Yeah, you know, they'd be fine in work. Unfortunately, I just hope that it's short-lived. You know, like the pet rock, like it goes away like a fad. That's what I'm waiting. Uh, I'd like to see more modern appreciation for John Ford. Yeah, he's, he, you know, that's, that's a good point. I mean, he made some amazing, amazing movies. I, the, the Western is something I need to, especially the classic Western, is something I need to get back into. I've been kind of on a classic movie kick lately. Um, I actually went into a lot of the old musicals, the MGM musicals and everything. And like I said, I, I just rewatched, uh, uh, you know, it's Christmas. You always rewatch it, but It's a Wonderful Life. And the one thing I'm missing with all of movies and TV shows and everything today is just just pure unadulterated sincerity. Like everything's got to be a wink and a nod and meta and ironic and nihilistic and it, it just it's just so it's just so ugly. It's like I miss optimism and I miss sincerity and and I miss just being. I, I mean, I, yeah, you can overdose on like the Disney, like classic Disney, you know, it's all so happy and fun and everything. But I've gotten to the point I kind of miss that. It's like, name me something that comes out that doesn't have that in it. And I will say, I think A Christmas Story Christmas did. I thought it was sincere and optimistic and fun and was great and continued the story. Um, I, you know, John Ford, he, you know, he, you know, people told these things that they were proud of their culture and proud of who they were. Now everything is about how we suck just for existing. And I just, ugh, tired of it. 
Uh, I saw Star Wars becoming a religion 100 years. Catholic Kennedy put a fork in that cadaver. It's already a religion. There is a Church of the Jedi in England. Um, it's it's officially recognized, which is kind of sad, really, if you think about it. <laughs> Aha, Crystal Skulls. Yeah, you like that, huh? I might go with that. Uh, I completely, absolutely agree. I miss the episodic format of shows back in the day so badly. A different story, mystery each episode with an overarching thread going out the season. Uh, 100% agree. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think I think Star Trek Next Generation and did that really, really well. Like, you knew the Borg were coming, but they had all these other different stuff. And, you know, there were some things, like, the thing they did better in Star Trek Next Generation is that with the original series, I had to take a drink. Uh, I know you love the velvet sounds of my voice. It sounds like it gargled has hot asphalt, but I'll try to keep it going here. Um, with the original Star Trek, there was no reference to anything that ever happened in the past. I, I don't think there was one single episode that ever referenced something that happened in a previous episode that I can remember. And there's some of these things you would think that would affect the Federation a little bit more than it did. Kirk and Spock steal a Romulan cloaking device. What happened with that? I don't know. They just did it, and then they went on the next episode, and it was never talked about again. Next Gen, they still had the episodic format, but it wasn't like these things happened in a vacuum. Occasionally, they would reference it. Occasionally, they would talk about it. And I think the best way they did it was after the, the Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2, which was obviously pretty traumatic to the characters. They, they had one more episode that kind of dealt with the aftermath, and you had card going to his home reflecting on his life reflecting on whether or not he still has the the guts the will the motivation to be a starship captain whether he can deal with what he had to go through and and break down with his brother and, and, yeah it's fantastic it's nice to see his characters a little bit affected and then you move on to the next story and it's not it's not dwelled upon all the time we don't just wallow in our grief or the problems that we had before but we do address them and i think that was the it was a perfect balance, and I I miss that. Uh, agree, I enjoy episodic television. I do not binge watch. I do not have time to waste. Oh, well. Um, I don't binge. Well, I'll, I'll binge, like, a partial binge. Like, I'll do three, four episodes, depending on, you know, what's going on or if I have some time. You know, it's cold outside or something, but... Other times I could do one. Maybe I'll get through a half episode. I'll do it later. It's because somebody called me from work or something. So, yeah. Whatever. I, I do like the fact that I could choose how I want to watch it. If it's all available, then I can watch them all at once. Or I can watch a few. Or I can do whatever. It doesn't matter. You can't tune into a random episode of Yellowstone and Better Call Stall like you can with SG-1 or X-Files. Yeah, and I don't want to act like that season arc television has no place. I... If it's, if it's done well and the characters are growing and you feel like that within each episode there's a beginning, middle, and end, you can do this. And Yellowstone and Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad were prime examples of this. They did a very good job of, of keeping you engaged every episode. I just don't think the writers of today have the talent to do that. And I think there's too much faddishness. One of the things, if you, ever, if you, if you look around, I, I, did a, I did a little montage of all the openings and it's just it's just kind of symbolic, but if you look at all the openings of all these shows, these these I don't know what do you call them prestige shows maybe these must watch shows that you know we'll 
decide whether we really must watch them or not. But they all try to be Game of Thrones. They have a very, they have a very abstract kind of visuals on the on the screen, and then they do the cast, and the cast is always offset. They may be up here, they may be down here, maybe they're over here. They're never centered. They never show the people that they're showing. It's just got these all abstract visuals. They have very pensive music. It's all it's all low tones and and then the title at the end, the title of the show at the end, and it makes it seem like it's so much more impressive than the show really is. And they all they all copy each other. They all come up with the same basic theme until somebody comes up with something new that grabs everybody. Then everybody will do that. Because Hollywood doesn't have any original creative people anymore. They just, you got one or two that can really do something, then everybody else does the same thing. And that's, that. if you look at all the TV openings right now, you go from like Breaking Bad to the, the DC shows to Yellowstone even, um, Game of Thrones, all of these, they all have the same basic opening and it's all the, exactly the same. Uh, you're referring to the episode Gambit of part two. Yes, Gambit. Yes, thank you. Yes, he is an X-Men. Okay, well, th th there's a time shift here. So every time I put a comment in, if I don't get to it, notice that the, if there isn't any context, I'm going to... I'm 52 years old. I'm not going to remember stuff. I don't... Yeah. It is a religion. Uh, Jedi is a religion. I believe it's... I believe... You guys can look it up for me, but I believe it's officially recognized in uh, in Britain. Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds was episodic and it worked, even if the show was hit or miss. It was, Eggy, I, I mean, I know you and I talked about this. It's better than Discovery. It's, it's, it's clearly much better than Discovery, but there's also a lot of terrible in it. And I think, again, you and I went over it and I put in examples of what I don't like about it. Um, I think they ruined Uhura. Um, they, they done Spock no favors. Um, so I'm not, there was some really good episodes and I mean, not just watchable or didn't make me angry. Some, some episodes that were actually good, but there's, there's a lot of problems with it. They need to work on it. Well, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I appreciate that it's a move in the right direction. Uh, episode of SG-1 where Jack meets the Asgard called the Fifth Race and the entire message shows how great humans are. Such a change for the cynicism and anger of the stuff pumped out now. Yeah, I mean, it's... Do, do humans have problems? Do we make mistakes? Do we screw up things? Of course we do. But to act like that's all there is to us, it's just such a smooth brain... Just no, there's no deep thinkers left. It's just, it's it's so easy to be nihilistic. It's so easy to shit on things. It doesn't take any effort to do it. And I meant that we do it a lot here. We do, um, but you know, I I maybe it's 2023 color New Year's resolution, but I would like to find more of the positive. I think like things like we do, like the overlooked and celebrating 1982 and some of those. It's kind of an attempt to say, you know, there is good out there. There's good people out there, and we don't deserve to have everything in the media tell us that we're wrong for being Americans, being part of the West, being the wrong color, being the wrong sex, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just, it feels like we haven't learned anything from the last 50, years. Uh, I did, I don't often binge watch, but I did binge Let the Right One In. It was quality TV. Is that, is that the one with vampires? 
Aggie. I, I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I don't know much about it. I've heard you talk about it, but I, I just don't know anything about it. My first Star Trek convention was in 1974. I can sympathize. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've only been to one Star Trek convention in my life. Uh, I don't, I don't usually go because when, when they have a Star Trek convention in the Kansas City area, you know, it's like the the guests are gonna be. Uh, there, this was uh, John John Powell. He was in episode forty three where he had one line. He was turned to a cube and crushed, and he'll be signing autographs at uh, fourteen hundred dollars a pop. Uh, yeah, it's like okay, I, I don't, I don't need to go and buy a bunch of cheap crap and all that kind of stuff. But nineteen ninety six, William Shatner came, and Shatner is. I'm like, okay, I gotta go. I'm Shatner, come on. You know, you, you don't, he, he doesn't usually come to the sticks, so to speak. And so I said, okay, fine. I'm going to go. I'm going to go see Shatter. And he goes, he, he gets on stage. I'll tell you, this is when I became a huge Shatner fan. I was always a Captain Kirk fan. I, I, you know, Captain Kirk is great. But I became a Shatner fan because I watched him get up on the stage. And you know he's done. This is 96, so you're talking 30 years of Star Trek at this point. He'd already done the skit 10 years ago where he made fun of all the Star Trek conventioneers, you know, saying, get a life. He did it on Saturday Night Live or whatever. So I was really enjoying. Uh, I was like, I, let's see how he does. And I figured he'd come out, he'd do his little shtick. He, he would maybe sign a few autographs, that'd be it. But i say, at least I saw him in person. No, you would think it was his first convention. You would think it was the very first one he had ever did. And he came out there. I, I thought I knew all the different background stories of Star Trek, seen all the bloopers, seen so much, read so much. No, nah, he was telling stories I had no idea about. And then he stays well over his time. He was supposed to be out there for like a half hour. He stayed out there for like an hour, maybe an hour, 15 minutes. He brought some girl on the stage who just about Peter Pants, she was so excited, gave her a hug just because she was so excited and, and kept telling stories and acted like everybody there, he could not have been more appreciative of these people that gave him his career and and loved him and loved his loved it so much. And he, he just the gratitude that was kind of emanating from him and the way he presented himself was was so refreshing. And that's when I became a huge Shatner fan. And you contrast that to like these She-Hulk writers said, we basically wanted to make this show to piss people off. I'm like, it's no wonder everybody's turned against you because you don't have any more Shatners. You don't have people who are just like eminently grateful to be in the position that they are and want to like, it, you got the feeling that Shatner wanted to personally thank each and every fan that ever loved Star Trek. That's how he came across on the stage. He was charming. He was bubbly and energetic. And I was like, this dude's great. This, I mean, he didn't have to do any of this. He was not contractually obligated to do any of this and he did it anyway. And I feel like he doesn't get nearly enough credit. And because he makes a few snarky content, uh, comments on Twitter or just as I mean, dude's in its nineties now. I mean, he's been to space, actually been to space. Uh, he ain't got anything left to prove to anybody. He wants to be a cranky old man. I say, let him, he's certainly given more than enough. And when he's out with fans, when he's out in person with people, he's as gracious a person as I ever met. Uh, and I, not that I met him, but you know, I mean, just from what I saw, I was blown away by how good and, and, 
nice he was. And so, yeah, I, I wish we had more of that these days. I wish we had Hollywood celebrities who were so ensconced in this weird media bubble of hanger-ons and, and corporate execs. And they don't have any idea of the people that are trying to watch their product. They don't care about them. They hate them. They hate us. And it's like, why? What's wrong with you? You you don't have any idea of what kind of life you could really be living and how bad it could be if you were just born in the wrong place in the world. I don't know. But, yep, that's where I'm at. Uh, let the right one in. It's a teleadaptation of the movie. I guess it's vampires. It's done very well. Genuine surprise. I'm, I'm guessing it's better than uh, the, the gay sex and interview with a vampire. Uh, Shatner's a class act. Amazing that he's 91. He's in good nick. Yeah, he's he's doing well. Uh, D talked to me at my first convention. John Jonathan Frakes and Marina, who gave me an interview, would be seen walking around the convention. Now it's all cold and corporate. Yeah, I mean, the whole... They weren't called conventions. They were called, you know, fan fan conventions. Or they were... I forget what they, what they called them. They were, you know... But they were for the fans. The fans made them, got them together, made made them what they were. I mean, Trek was the first one that really did this. If there were conventions going on back in the day, I, I don't I don't recall it. It seems like that was a thing that started with Star Trek and then other conventions, comic conventions, all these, they all started up and they were all just dedicated to people who love these things because we didn't have an internet back then to get together and talk about these things with people who love these things. And then the people who starred in these one-off shows that were probably destined to go to obscurity or just shocked that everybody wants to talk about these shows and create these, you know, rent these huge convention halls and talk to them. So they would go and they would sign autographs and appreciate it. But you're right. Now it's, now it's, I mean, what is San Diego Comic-Con now, if not just a big marketing opportunity? It's kind of like, I, I don't, I don't want to go to any of these. And, and, or it's, it's almost like a, a weird cult church, you know, like here comes Star Wars trailer. Everybody go, woo. Woo. <laughs> crying i'm like oh god come on you're not you're not supposed to be this uh-huh. ah god i've been i've been talking straight on just by myself for an hour and 15 minutes i really didn't think i was going to be able to do it solo like this uh and you guys you guys kept the chat up you've been great i really appreciate it the original science fiction horror and fantasy conventions were great. Yeah, I, I, I admit, I think they were. I didn't go to any of them. I, honestly, I was, I was a dumb teenager. Said so I can't be going to one of those. Everybody'll pick on me at school. Uh, and and I probably missed out on the on the heyday in the eighties when they were really great. Because I was too stupid to get over myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm making up for lost time. I, I got. All kinds of people who can make fun of me now. The entire world can find me and make fun of me now. So it's great. Well, I think I'm going to leave it at that. I think, uh, I don't know if my voice is going to continue on very much longer, but I do appreciate everything you guys have done. I will be putting this out. Um, I, I need to get the last one out there, but I'll be putting this out in little snippets and I will be putting the podcast out there. So if you have a, like to listen to this kind of thing on audio only, you can. Uh, I will be... Uh, we will be trying to get back to more of a normal discussion kind of thing. But if you like these solo things, uh, I'll be happy to do some maybe during the week. Uh, I am going to start up my 
Drunken Yoda Unplugged channel, which, again, <laughs> I started to do it and then I kind of stopped, but I'm going to get into it more because I really want to keep the non-entertainment topics I would like to talk about off of this channel. I'd like to, you know, do it somewhere else. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, you can watch it. If you're not interested in that sort of thing, then you, you don't have to be bothered by it by, on this channel. Um, but anyway, in the meantime, I'm going to, uh, we're going to get back to our normal um, stream on Sundays. And I'm also going to be I, I, Phil and I talked. We're going to try to kind of stick to more of the overlooks because those seem to be the ones that people appreciate the most. So we're going to do that. And we're also going to be um, trying to make sure that the website is, is like, I, I've done some work on it. So hopefully if you go to lastmovieoutpost.com, you do go to lastmovieoutpost.com. Of course you do. Uh, you'll notice that it's a lot faster. I, I fixed some of the caching stuff. And there's still some more stuff that I want to do to fix the database. Um, I've always been a Windows guy, Windows Server, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not that good at Linux, but I'm getting better. So I'm learning some things and trying to make the WordPress site work better and all that kind of stuff. But if you have some ideas that you want to us to uh, start covering or some different stories. It's, it's a slow time of the year for entertainment. So this is a good time to start us considering what we want to do and how we can make it more enjoyable. So thank you very much for watching. And remember, you can find me at drunken Yoda one at twitter.com. We are the last movie outpost.com. Our main Twitter is at movie outpost. Uh, of course we got at Boba Phil at Matt Eggy Wiggs on Facebook. We are slash last movie outpost and at Instagram. We are at movie outpost, which Phil's been doing a great job getting us going on there. So remember we are the latest in movie news, streaming news and all things cool about film. We are the cool news now. Yep. That's right. We're taking over ain't cool news. We are going to beat them at their own game. That's the whole goal here. Well, that to be entertaining and have fun. So, thank you very much for watching. Let me see if I got any other comments here. I don't want to miss any. Uh, let's see. Well done, mate. Great show. Thank you, Aggie. Watch Denise Crosby in her Star Trek special and get a taste of what it was like being there. I, I'll give that a shot. Um, uh, I did see her Playboy centerfold. Uh, Enjoyable, stimulating show. I'm glad. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I, I I think there is something to be said sometimes about a solo show where you don't have people over talking each other as much as I enjoy getting together with those guys. And we do have some great conversations. I don't want to. I don't want to take anything away from that. But at times we tend to step on each other, and it gets a little bit like you're you're watching four guys at a bar and you're eavesdropping. And I do want to make sure that I'm interacting with the audience more. So. Thank you very much for watching, and I will see you guys on the next show. And like I said, if you do want us to do something solo, I'll try to come up with a time which is um, better than or different than uh, Sundays. Maybe a, maybe a Wednesday night or something. We'll see. So take care, and uh, have a great weekend.